Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adam and Golf. So today we are joined by PGA Tour golfer Dylan Fratelli. Dylan, what's up, man? Thanks for taking time out of your day to talk with us. Sure. No worry, guys. Not much is up. Just chilling on a Monday. Happy to chat to you guys. Nice. So we wanted to get the perspective of a pro golfer. You're the first tour player we've had on this podcast. We're primarily interested in helping recreational golfers get better. And we thought it would be interesting to talk to you about a few of the concepts we've discussed. And hopefully, maybe you can reinforce some of the stuff or even just give us a different perspective of what it's like on tour to get better at these things. I know a lot of golfers just don't understand what you guys are going through on a daily basis. So we're going to fire some questions at you if that's okay. Sure. Fire away. Okay. So we've talked a lot about swing speed and distance and how it's important in the game. We've spoken with Mark Brody. We've talked with Mike Carroll on how to add distance properly. A lot of people focus on one guy on tour who added a ton of club head speed and they kind of overlook you. And I was looking at your stats in 2019 and 20, you were like 114 miles per hour with your driver speed. And you were like 295 off the tee, which put you like in 73rd all the way down to 146 on tour. And then in 2021, you went to 119 miles an hour of club head speed and you're hitting at 309 yards and you're up to 18th in distance last year off the tee. How did you do that? <laughs> That's a huge jump. So I know there's two elements. There's the fitness element and there's the equipment element. And a huge thanks to Callaway. My buddy's at Callaway for setting this up. Do you want me to touch on the physical side or only the equipment side? We're going to do both, but let's start with the fitness side of things. What specifically did you do to train your body to move faster? So my trainer, Nick Catterall, an Australian uh, physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach, has been my guy for the last two and a half years since I've been on the PGA Tour. And we started out with a lot of foundational elements, so a lot of strength work, a lot of power work. So you got deadlifts, you got back squat, you got front squat, you got power cleans, you got presses, overhead. So lots of just general strength exercises. That's where we first focused. And I've been doing that for a year and a half and never really touched on much of the speed stuff, did a lot of power, but never touched on speed. And I said to him, why am I not getting faster? I'm getting stronger and like my power lifts are getting better, but clubhead speed's not moving. And he said, well, I thought you just wanted to be strong and stable and sort of consistent on the golf course. And I said, no, if there's an element here that we can push and I can get more speed, there's a direct correlation between higher club speed and increased income on tour. So why not? Let's go down that road. So, okay, sure. Let's check it out. And went into it and tried to do a little sort of third phase, a speed phase, so not just power and strength in the workouts. We moved into a speed phase with sort of lighter weight, more medicine balls, and then we used the speed sticks to try and simulate more on the golf side. So did about three months of that leading up to the Masters last year in 2020. And that was that fifth place finish that I had at the Masters, which is really good. And that was almost the start of it. And the fall series was just, okay, I'm going to gun this, see how quick we can get, give it a go. And then obviously we chatted to Callaway as well to figure out the equipment side. So talk about the because I know a lot of people get stuck on strength training. We had Mike Carroll, who's a trainer for a lot of tour players, and he focuses on swing speed. And he kind of reinforced what you said. A lot of people will do strength training and not see a direct correlation to swing speed. Can you talk a little bit about like the explosiveness? I know you use the speed sticks and stuff like that. How much time did it take to introduce those workouts? Like if you had to guess like per week, and then how long did it take for that to show up? in your club head speed just a brief overview of those three things i talked about speed power and strength is basically just a description of how you train 
strength training is typically eight to 12 reps at anywhere from 70 to 90 plus percent your one RMs. Power is a little bit less. You're looking at four to eight reps typically at most, and you're doing sort of 60 to 80% of your one rep max. And then speed is going to be anything functional or something specific to your sport. So sprinters have a lot of drills that they do, a lot of jumps, a lot of like dynamic things. Golfers, obviously, we're swinging a golf club. So there's a direct correlation between squatting power and jumping power. And then obviously, a technical element of swinging a golf club really fast. So those are the speed drills. We did a lot of jumping, a lot of pressing into the ground, and then a lot of throwing of weights and also golf clubs. So that explains those three phases. But sorry, back to your question. What was your question? Well, how long did it take? You know, we're trying to, obviously, you're on tour. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take? I mean, honestly, it was two months or three months of that speed training. And I went from on my track, man, when I was watching it, I, I gained five miles, four to five miles in about three months. That was also a factor of the third factor is also being intentional when I hit the ball. Typically, I would hold back. Lots of guys on tour are like, Dill, you're strong and athletic. Why don't you hit the ball? I'm like, because I don't need to. I hit a 295. That's enough. And now with a little more intention with, okay, I'm actually going to swing and try and hit this ball 100%, that also gave me a little bit. So between those three things, five miles an hour within two to three months, I'd say. I was going to ask if there was anything that held you back, but I suppose you answered that. I know that when I was growing up learning the game, it was all swing easy, keep it in play, you know, swing very short and controlled. Did you do anything technically as well, like lengthen your swing or did you just keep the same technique and just increase the effort level? No, no, just increase the effort level. I think doing the speed sticks probably gave me a slightly longer backswing, to be honest, just because you're trying to rip it as fast as you can on the way back. That tends to lengthen the swing and give your shoulders maybe a little bit more flexibility and rotation. But there's nothing on the technical side with my coach, Chuck Cook, that we worked on. It was simply those drills and swing those things as fast as we could. And you feel like your effort level is the same as in training as when you're on the course as well? Or say you to give a percentage of how hard you're swinging it, how hard you're going after it on the so course. During what those you speed say? sticks, it's like... 100% everything I have like I finish a session with Nick it'll be the heaviest session I've done it's probably 45 swings in it it's different weights different steps and different uh, elements to it but 45 swings for me with the speed sticks I have to sit down and like I'm literally like neurally just fired up like I can't relax it's just like body's tired mind is switched on like it's a totally different feeling to just doing a normal range session like I actually need 30 minutes to sort of come down from doing that type of workout and then on the course I wouldn't say I'm going all out. I've actually worked with my stats guys now, and I think this year I'm going to back off a little bit on the intention side. Fairway percentage has come down quite a bit, so I'm going to try and focus more on hitting the fairway. So probably going to be 90% on the golf course this year, but last year I was just like, okay, where can I hit this? How far can I hit this? And I was just climbing into it as hard as I could. So to answer your question, yeah, I'll dial back a little bit this year more than likely. I've gone through a similar process in my game and I actually made a, a similar equipment change that you did as well, which we'll get into. And I play tournament golf, certainly not <laughs> not under the conditions you do, but I think a lot of golfers, when you talk about adding swing speed and to be clear, the way you're doing it and Adam and myself are advocating for is a more responsible way to do it. We've shared some great resources on the podcast, whether it's with the speed sticks, super speed golf, or doing a training program. I think people get worried that if they add speed to their game, all of a sudden their golf swing is going to fall apart technically. And you as a pro golfer, I mean, you're a top 100 golfer in the world. You've won twice on the European Tour. You have a PGA Tour victory. You've got a lot to lose if things don't go well with it. Like, were you worried at all about or the change? Or you're just like, I need to do this to help me climb leaderboards? 
I was a little worried. I chatted to Nick, and Nick said, look, Bill, this is going to be an experiment. You're probably going to play pretty poorly in the fall, which I did. Besides that Masters finish, didn't play too hot. And I was looking at him like, hey, man, I think we need to do this. Like, I've got the physical strength. I would hate to have a whole career and not go down this avenue and give it a try. So let's give it a go, knowing that it could also turn my performance down. But the strange thing was my season that I had, I've earned 1.5 mil on the PGA Tour the first three years until exactly the same every single year. My FedEx points have changed a little bit just because of the makeup of what tournaments I'm playing. And you play in the bigger ones, you may earn less FedEx points playing in the regular tour events. But my consistency has been there. And I don't think it caused me too much stress i think there was less fairways hit and i think there's definitely some higher finishes better finishes in tough tournaments and then worse finishes in regular tournaments but yeah there's no real aspect to it in my mind that i've become a worse golfer or hit it more offline i think the one thing i do need to work on is being specific about when i hit driver and how i hit driver and that's what this season's going to be about for me regarding equipment what did you change in the equipment not too much. I initially stayed with the same shaft. I didn't switch over. It was a Tensei White. I think it was 65 gram. And I started that with a, went up from 45 and a quarter in length to 45 and a half. And then 46 and tested with Callaway. I believe it was uh, the Vegas tournament last year, the second Vegas event, and found a nice 46 shaft that seemed to work okay. And I actually cracked my. 44 and a quarter in the first round on the 18th hole so i just thought well let's just put the 46 in and see how this goes yeah it didn't go so well because shadow creek's not really favorable everything there is down at sort of 290 or 300 so it didn't help me too much but it was a nice experiment and haven't looked back from there i've stuck at 46 inches i have switched to an av series in that tensei shaft which is apparently i don't know too much about it. it's a little stiffer throughout the shaft i'm not sure if it's torque or flex or what it is but i just gave them feedback that i was losing the head a little bit at that high swing range like 125 127 and above it was just flexing too much and the board come out at 2800 or 3000 on like a 12 13 degree launch which for me not the best numbers so correct me if i'm wrong but most pga tour players are actually on the shorter end of shaft lane spectrum like a lot of tour players are playing like 44 like i know bubba plays like a 44 and a half inch shaft whereas you know I think there's a movement like what you're doing is to going longer. Do you see that on tour or guys going with longer shafts now? Or are they sticking with shorter ones thinking it'll give them more control? I can't really speak for that. I don't, <laughs> I don't check in guys' bags. I can only like listen to Callaway guys, I guess. But I know I'm one of maybe four guys that I know of that are around the 46-inch length. But I thought mine was short at 44 and a quarter before. So I'm not sure what standard is, but yeah, it was a big increase for me. And I, I know a few guys have gone down that road and then sort of backed off. It has been like last fall, everyone was trying it. Rory tried it, a bunch of guys tried it. And some of them stuck with it, but I'd say the majority of the guys like backed away and didn't follow through with it. Did you ever try like a 47 or 48 inch shift? Yeah, I have a 48. I'm actually staring at it right now in my closet and it was crazy. It's way too soft. Like it was basically just a raw shaft that they put a plug on the end and put a shot or head on the shaft but it was way too soft i could probably try one now with the av series knowing that's a little bit stiffer but no nah, it was too wild i couldn't hit the middle of the face it's so difficult like looking at those long drive guys now i'm like it's a miracle that they're even able to hit the middle of the face every now and then yeah it's an interesting concept and i 
went through some i used to play a shorter driver shaft at 44 and i worked with callaway as well to go to i play two drivers now i play a 47 inch shaft and for me when we got the weight right because you have to take a lot of weight out of the head i know callaway has all these fitting system now i'm actually hitting the longer driver better than the shorter one now and i kind of use the shorter driver to hit this like low stinger hook on shorter holes but i've looked a lot into you know the the longer driver shaft experiment as you said it's not for everyone and especially at the tour level you have to be confident you can access the center of the face and keep it in play so do you think you're going to stick with like 46 is that kind of your number now yeah 46 is my number now especially after the the rumblings on tour and rna usga they've talked about 46 being the limit so i'm really happy that that kind of worked in my favor there's no need for me to go any longer right now i've never seen a benefit beyond 46 and i think i'm actually going to grip down a little bit on the swing this year just take about a quarter of an inch or half an inch off the shaft i notice that i don't lose hardly any clubhead speed when i do that so i find the middle of the face more often and numbers are pretty similar so i think for me it's just gripping down on that 46 inch shaft interesting adam you have any follow-up questions on that well it depends how much time we've got but i'm interested in things like you know, what are you working on in your own game apart from distance? And, you know, what does a typical day look like for you? How many hours of practice is that? How many hours of beating balls versus playing on the course? So, yeah, any of those questions take your fancy? For me, the practice, it changes. So I've gotten a routine now of actually writing down a practice routine. I found myself just going to the course and doing the same old thing day after day and not really keeping track of it. So now before I go out, I write down, okay, an hour of putting, just big picture stuff, an hour of putting, 40 minutes of short irons, 20 minutes of mid irons, and 10 minutes of drivers. And then typically I'll do an hour of pitching probably. So anywhere from 30 to 120. And then beyond that, going to play nine holes. I play nine holes every second, I would say. But then if I'm leading up to a tournament the last three, four days before I head out, I'll be playing at least 18 holes a day. And when I go play nine holes, I actually play two balls. So typically I'm getting 18 holes in in the space of two hours. Um, and beyond that, it's not too much different about my routines. I use a track man pretty much all the time. 95% of the, the reps I have that I'm actually hitting it over 30 or 40 yards has a track man on it. So I can get that feedback right away. And then putting is the final piece of the puzzle that I'm trying to work out now. It's been the Achilles heel for the last two, three years. I can't seem to crack the top. I think the best I've ever had for a more than a three or four month spell with like top 70 or 80 in putting on tour. So that's something that I'm really focused on. If I can get into 50 in putting, I think I'm going to be a top 30 player in the world. And what are you working on in your full game or what do you monitor? Like, say you're using the track, man. Are there any specific numbers that you look at that relate to your game? Yeah, for me, it's always the top two tiles I have would be path and then face to path. So that's just a litmus test. I hit a shot, look up little draw i go okay felt a little inside maybe i look down says two degrees inside with a closed face okay that's more like a hook but it just gives me the initial feedback to tell me okay that shape equals this through the ball and you basically after hitting shot after shot after shot you get to feel so then when you get on the golf course you hit that shot and you go i know exactly what that is it's just slightly inside closed face cool and you don't stress you get under pressure in a tournament that happens and you relax most guys will sit there and chat to the kid oh what am i doing what can you see and it's like hang on if you drilled it in like you should be able to feel you should be able to know certain shot shapes cause certain outcomes so that's how i use the track man to get better on a daily basis and then to aid me when i'm on the course to not freak out definitely yeah i think practicing with the track man you can start to feel you know at least within a degree of where you are and that's helpful on the course is there a specific number that you don't like to see with your path you know are you looking to zero it out or 
Yeah, irons, you want to be – my coach Chuck Cook has taught me all this, so I'm just regurgitating what he's told me. But <laughs> short irons, you want to be slightly inside. On wedges, distance wedges, 30 to 120, you want to be at least a degree from the inside. Degree to three, four degrees on the inside is ideal because you want to close the face down, hit a low draw, launch it under 30 degrees with the wedges. That's the ideal scenario. You put max spin on it and flights it low. And then as you get into the irons, you want to be more neutral. So he never wants me more than like one degree either side. That's my goal is always to be within that two degree window, one or one outside to in, inside to out. And then on the face side, you obviously want to square it up. So if you're naturally like some days I go and I'm two degrees inside, I'm not going to worry too much if I'm going to play or have have a game with somebody i'm just gonna okay i know it's inside don't close the face too much don't open correct it just kind of try and find a neutral ball flight but i'm always just tailoring that minus or that plus sign on the path number just to get it close to zero we often talk about self-correction on the golf course like increasing kind of your, your toolkit of when things go wrong so it sounds like you're mostly aiming for a somewhat neutral club path and you're controlling the face impeccably well, obviously, to keep the ball within a tight dispersion window. When you get out on the in a tournament and let's say you're a few holes in and you're noticing a certain pattern, like maybe it's a closed face pattern, open face pattern, or maybe your swing path is getting out of whack. What kind of fixes do you employ to get yourself back on track if you feel like you need to? Honestly, I don't try and fix it on the course. The real answer, I heard Jack Nicklaus give a quote once. He said, I'd go to the range and warm up and I would hit. And if I had a 30-yard slice that day, I wouldn't try and fix it on the range. I would just see that 30-yard slice, hit five more balls, see it, okay, go on the course and play a 30-yard slice. So I've always had that sort of thought in my mind. When I have a shape, I know, okay, my tendency right now, track man saying this, it's a draw. Okay, I'm just going to trust that it's a draw. So I'll often say to my caddy, target is right edge of the green, but... Like, I know I'm going to draw it five yards. So don't, like, I'll tell him starting around, don't be worried if my lines are a little further right today because naturally it's going to come more left. So I've got to maneuver my lines a little over. So I don't try and fix things. I don't try and get back to neutral. If it's a hook or a slice, obviously, yes, then I'll, like, a driver, if I'm slicing at 30 yards, I'm going to try and fix that because you've got trees and stuff in the way that are going to impede you. But yeah, not too many fixes technical wise on the course. What if it was a shank? <laughs> <laughs> That's the short-term memory right there. And that's honestly the thing that I try and do. I try and just forget shots more often than I do try and analyze them and fix them. It's more so like, oh, I know I'm good. I know I'm an athlete. I can hit the next shot well or, or do better. I'm not going to sit there and grind on the tee box doing little takeaway drills trying to fix something that, hey, it might have just been one swing on the day. There's no point in stressing about it. Would you say you're quite a mechanical player or are you more instinctive, feel-based? I'm definitely more technical on the swing side when I'm practicing. My coach is always telling me I've started doing a lot of combines as well on the track mind. So yeah, picking that. different windows, spitting out numbers at me and me trying to hit those exact numbers. So I've even done some out of the rough to try and work on my short iron play out of the rough, which was pretty bad last year. So trying to be more creative and trying to be feel based. It's the one thing that I think you can't do enough of. Obviously, the technical stuff's helpful once you get to a level, but where we are, it's all about being able to execute under pressure and there's been too many scientific studies that show you that anything technical anything thought-based micromanage is not going to have a, a good outcome when it comes to such a, a crazy feel-based like multiple options many different things to worry about type sports or fields so you drill it in you get yourself to a point where your natural talent takes over and you can hit all these cool shots just without analyzing it i think that's the best place to be do you explore and experiment a little on the range with different shapes or do you tend to just stick with a stock shape? 
pretty stuck now with these short iron uh, combines i've been doing i've realized i used to kind of shape the ball a bit to work on distances so i've got 150 and the wind's out the right my nine irons like 150 club i'm gonna okay if i slice it or i fade it into this wind it's only gonna go 140 so i've, I've reminded myself that hey you got to hit the right shape for the wind direction and for the shot type if it's a hard pan lie or all those other come into it so i've reminded myself of doing that just to work back to those yardages and get yourself comfortable so it was a nice thing to figure out the last few months Here's another question I'm very interested to hear from a tour player because we talk about this a lot. You mentioned like being instinctual and kind of let your athletic nature come out on the course under pressure. What are you thinking about as you stand over the ball? Do you have swing thoughts? Are you focusing on like just striking, you know, the turf with an iron in front of the ball? Like, is there any thought that gets you through pressure on the course? Zero swing thoughts. It's that Vision 54 theory, I don't know if you've seen Lynn Merritt, Pia Nielsen, I remember seeing it as a kid, that think box, play box. You think box, you're behind the ball, you're seeing things, you're working out the number, you're chatting to your cat. As soon as you step over that line, everything's out the window in my mind. It's all flag stick, golf club, feel, club, shoulders, head. I'm just looking, feeling, looking, feeling, trying to feel the shot. And then I look down when I'm ready, just take it away. There's zero, zero thought of it path or a grip pressure or uh, anything it's just target golf club angles work it out hit it that's simply how i see it we talk, we talk a lot, a lot about, about uh, external focuses you know, you know focusing on the, on the target, target simple, simple things, things like, like that, that. And there's obviously quite a big pushback on that type of stuff from a lot of coaches because coaches want to push more mechanical focuses as that's because, terrible advice <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah, we're kind of on your side with that, definitely. I mean, I, I'm sure if we asked a range of tour players, there'd be someone like a Bryson DeChambeau who would give us a laundry list of highly technical thoughts. But uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting and refreshing to see that there are players out there who are playing on feel more as well. So, yeah. John, you have any closing questions? I think it's a futile thing to try and control all those small mechanical things in your swing. There's no way you can do it. And that's why when you work with coaches, they give you one or two things to work on. So if you think about that one thing on the course, like even that's not a good good idea in my mind. Do it in the drill before. Yeah, do a little waggle, do a takeaway, do it there and then stand into the wall and forget about it. Absolutely. Here's another question that I love to ask anyone who's really good at golf and you're on a whole other level than who we've spoken to before. We try and manage people's expectations, and I love watching professional golf, but I think the one thing it's done is it's really tormented golfers' expectations of the game. We're watching you know, the best players in the world who are playing the best at that moment, and let's face it, you know, a European tour or PGA tour broadcast is kind of like a highlight reel of the best players at the moment. So <laughs> my question to you is someone who has, you've won, and then you've missed cuts too. Are PGA Tour players as good as they look? Like, tell me about, like, some of the bad stuff we don't see on camera, like, that's not on camera. Like, because everyone just assumes, like, you're flushing it on the center of the face, hitting these perfect shots all the time. And, you know, we try and look at stats and proximity stuff. We had Lou Stagner, a statistician, last week talking about, you know, you guys aren't you're excellent, but you're not actually as good as everyone thinks you are. So can you talk about, like, maybe some of the bad stuff that happens like when you're struggling or like what it really looks like i will start the conversation from your point and give a story my uncle in new zealand caddied for me at the open and a few tournaments when my caddy had to step away his wife was sick two years ago and after caddying for me he looked at me and he said girl uh, Dill, you guys play 
a totally different game of golf. Like this isn't even the same sport. What do you guys play versus he's like a seven handicap back in New Zealand. He said different sport. Like there's no comparison. What you guys can do spin and angle and shape and it's just totally different. So that's how I'll start the conversation. But yeah, I think there's obviously social media and there's all kinds of things, TV that just put out the best product and you only see these amazing shots. So I think the crazy one to think of is like, target-based stuff if you just think of five percent we will hit the ball inside five percent of the total distance on average so if you beat that five percent you're gaining strokes and if you're outside of that you're losing strokes so you got a hundred yard shot you've got to hit that inside five yards I mean, if you're not hitting it inside five yards or two and a half sort of three yards you're losing shots and i think that's pretty crazy to think about every time every shot wind conditions all kinds of different things but yeah the guys that go through bad spells i'm not playing so hot right now myself i'm trying to figure out what's going on it's probably more mental than technical because every time i see chuck he says it's pretty good but i can't think of any specific stories guys that i've played with. i'm not going to throw anyone under the bus but yeah sometimes you know a guy's not even going to make the cut he tees up plays the first two or three holes and you're like He's just here trying to figure it out. And I've been there before, just missed three, four cuts in a row. And you're like, what the heck am I doing? I need to figure this stuff out. Really great guys are guys that, that never really fall into that bucket. They're always making cuts and, and not running into too many issues. I'm guessing that what, you know most of your issues would be more directional ones. You know, Pros are not really going to hit too many bad strikes that are going to cost them. But directionally left or right would be more of an issue. Do you kind of separate after you hit a shot that's bad? Do you analyze it on the spot or do you leave it till later? Or do you try and get it out of your mind immediately? What's your approach to it? I let it go. As soon as I've hit it, it's like, okay, if you want to be upset, be upset. But then once I've hit it, it's done. Like I move on. If it's a consistent thing, obviously I'm <laughs> going to have some lingering effects there, but I try and flush that out as much as I can. Each new shot is a totally different shot in my mind. John, any closing thoughts? No, I think we have limited time with Dylan. He's got plenty of stuff to do. So thanks for hanging out with us for a half hour. Appreciate the clubhead speed talk because you know, people listening to this, even at Dylan's level, that the type of training he's doing is accessible to normal everyday golfers. And it's it's great for your overall health as well. So definitely go back to our episode with Mike Carroll and Fit for Golf. It really reinforces a lot of the stuff that Dylan said. I'm, hope, I'm actually glad you said it to hear a world-class player talk about those types of exercises. So yeah, best of luck. I hope you get out of your mini funk. I'm sure you will. And we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with us. Yeah, thanks for being on, Dylan. Thanks, guys. I hope fans out there can learn. And if they want to go follow me on Instagram, I'm always responding to followers. I get a lot of guys asking me all these questions as well. Working out, equipment, and they message me. And I try and respond to some people, but don't get to everybody. But if it's a smart question, I'm always there to help out. So what's your Instagram handle? At Fratellivision, my last name with vision on the end. So it's play on the sunglasses I wear on the course. And then also on a television, I guess it's a view into my life. Nice. All right. So everyone can reach Dylan. I actually saw a couple of your videos. You were like deadlifting like crazy and doing some cleaning and lifts. You look pretty intense. Yeah. I throw a few workouts on there just to keep everyone excited. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime soon. No worries. Happy to be back, guys. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for everyone's continued support of The Sweet Spot. You can find me at practical-golf.com and be sure to check out Adam's site as well, adamyounggolf.com. We'll see you next week with a new episode.